Chapter Seven of the Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton from Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Seven. I dare say the long residence of the Countess Cherlaski at Shepperton Vicarage is very puzzling to you also, dear reader, as well as to Mr. Barton's clerical brethren the more so as i hope you are not in the least inclined to put that very evil interpretation on it which evidently found acceptance with the sallow and dyspeptic mr duke and with the florid and highly peptic mr fellows you have seen enough i trust of the reverend amos barton to be convinced that he was more apt to fall into a blunder than into a sin more apt to be deceived than to incur a necessity for being deceitful and if you have a keen eye for physiognomy you will have detected that the countess czerlaski loved herself far too well to get entangled in an unprofitable vice how then you will say could this fine lady choose to quarter herself on the establishment of a poor curate where the carpets were probably falling into holes where the attendance was limited to a maid-of-all-work and where six children were running loose from eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock in the evening surely you must be misrepresenting the facts heaven forbid for not having a lofty imagination as you perceive and being unable to invent thrilling incidents for your amusement my only merit must lie in the truth with which i represent to you the humble experience of an ordinary fellow-mortal i wish to stir your sympathy with commonplace troubles to win your tears for real sorrow sorrow such as may live next door to you such as walks neither in rags nor in velvet but in very ordinary decent apparel therefore that you may dismiss your suspicions of my veracity i will beg you to consider that at the time the countess czerlaski left camp villa in dudgeon she had only twenty pounds in her pocket being about one-third of the income she possessed independently of her brother you will then perceive that she was in the extremely inconvenient predicament of having quarrelled not indeed with her bread and cheese but certainly with her chicken and tart a predicament all the more inconvenient to her because the habit of idleness had quite unfitted her for earning those necessary superfluities and because with all her fascinations she had not secured any enthusiastic friends whose houses were open to her and who were dying to see her thus she had completely checkmated herself unless she could resolve on one unpleasant move namely to humble herself to her brother and recognize his wife this seemed quite impossible to her as long as she entertained the hope that he would make the first advances and in this flattering hope she remained month after month at shepperton vicarage gracefully overlooking the deficiencies of accommodation and feeling that she was really behaving charmingly who indeed she thought to herself could do otherwise with a lovely gentle creature like milly i shall really be sorry to leave the poor thing so though she lay in bed till ten and came down to a separate breakfast at eleven she kindly consented to dine as early as five when a hot joint was prepared which coldly furnished forth the children's table the next day she considerately prevented milly from devoting herself too closely to the children by insisting on reading talking and walking with her and she even began to embroider a cap for the next baby which must certainly be a girl and be named caroline 
after the first month or two of her residence at the vicarage the rev amos barton became aware as indeed it was unavoidable that he should of the strong disapprobation it drew upon him and the change of feeling towards him which it was producing in his kindest parishioners but in the first place he still believed in the countess as a charming and influential woman disposed to befriend him and in any case he could hardly hint departure to a lady guest who had been kind to him and his and who might any day spontaneously announce the termination of her visit in the second place he was conscious of his own innocence and felt some contemptuous indignation towards people who were ready to imagine evil of him and lastly he had as i have already intimated a strong will of his own so that a certain obstinacy and defiance mingled itself with his other feelings on the subject the one unpleasant consequence which was not to be evaded or counteracted by any mere mental state was the increasing drain on his slender purse for household expenses to meet which the remittance he had received from the clerical charity threatened to be quite inadequate slander may be defeated by equanimity but courageous thoughts will not pay your baker's bill and fortitude is nowhere considered legal tender for beef month after month the financial aspect of the rev amos's affairs became more and more serious to him and month after month too wore away more and more of that armour of indignation and defiance with which he had at first defended himself from the harsh looks of faces that were once the friendliest but quite the heaviest pressure of the trouble fell on milly on gentle uncomplaining milly whose delicate body was becoming daily less fit for all the many things that had to be done between rising up and lying down at first she thought the countess's visit would not last long and she was quite glad to incur extra exertion for the sake of making her friend comfortable i can hardly bear to think of all the rough work she did with those lovely hands all by the sly without letting her husband know anything about it and husbands are not clairvoyant how she salted bacon ironed shirts and cravats put patches on patches and redarned darns then there was the task of mending and eking out baby linen in prospect and the problem perpetually suggesting itself how she and nanny should manage when there was another baby as there would be before very many months were passed when time glided on and the countess's visit did not end milly was not blind to any phase of their position she knew of the slander she was aware of the keeping aloof of old friends but these she felt almost entirely on her husband's account a loving woman's world lies within the four walls of her own home and it is only through her husband that she is in any electric communication with the world beyond mrs simpkins may have looked scornfully at her but baby crows and holds out his little arms none the less blithely mrs tomkins may have left off calling on her but her husband comes home none the less to receive her care and caresses it has been wet and gloomy out of doors to-day but she has looked well after the shirt buttons has cut out baby's pinafores and half finished willie's blouse so it was with milly she was only vexed that her husband should be vexed only wounded because he was misconceived 
but the difficulty about ways and means she felt in quite a different manner her rectitude was alarmed lest they should have to make tradesmen wait for their money her motherly love dreaded the diminution of comforts for the children and the sense of her own failing health gave exaggerated force to these fears milly could no longer shut her eyes to the fact that the countess was inconsiderate if she did not allow herself to entertain severer thoughts and she began to feel that it would soon be a duty to tell her frankly that they really could not afford to have her visit farther prolonged but a process was going forward in two other minds which ultimately saved milly from having to perform this painful task in the first place the countess was getting weary of shepperton weary of waiting for her brother's overtures which never came so one fine morning she reflected that forgiveness was a christian duty that a sister should be placable that mr bridmain must feel the need of her advice to which she had been accustomed for three years and that very likely that woman didn't make the poor man happy in this amiable frame of mind she wrote a very affectionate appeal and addressed it to mr bridmain through his banker another mind that was being wrought up to a climax was nanny's the maid of all work who had a warm heart and a still warmer temper nanny adored her mistress she had been heard to say that she was ready to kiss the ground as the missus trod on and walter she considered was her baby of whom she was as jealous as a lover but she had from the first very slight admiration for the countess czerlaski that lady from nanny's point of view was a personage always drawed out of fine clothes the chief result of whose existence was to cause additional bed-making carrying of hot water laying of tablecloths and cooking of dinners it was a perpetually heightening aggravation to nanny that she and her mistress had to slave more than ever because there was this fine lady in the house and she pays nothing for it neither observed nanny to mr jacob toms a young gentleman in the tailoring line who occasionally simply out of a taste for dialogue looked into the vicarage kitchen of an evening i know the master's shorter a money than ever and it makes no end a difference o the housekeepin her bein here besides bein obliged to have a charwoman constant there's fine stories of the village about her said mr toms they say as muster barton's great wi her or else she'd never stop here then they say a passel o lies and you ought to be ashamed to go and tell em o'er again do you think as the master as has got a wife like the missus ud go runnin arter a stuck-up piece o goods like that countess as isn't fit to black the missus's shoes i'm none so fond of the master but i know better on him nor that well i didn't believe it said mr toms humbly believe it you'd a been a ninny if you did and she's a nasty stingy thing that countess she's never give me a sixpence nor an old rag neither sin here she's been a lyin a bed and a comin down to breakfast when other folks wants their dinner if such was the state of nanny's mind as early as the end of august when this dialogue with mr toms occurred you may imagine what it must have been by the beginning of november and that at that time a very slight spark might any day cause the long smouldering anger to flame forth in open indignation that spark happened to fall the very morning that mrs hackett paid the visit to mrs patten recorded in the last chapter nanny's dislike of the countess extended to the innocent dog jet 
whom she couldn't abear to see made a fuss way like a christian and the little oozle must be washed too ivery saturday as if there wasn't children anew to wash without washin dogs now this particular morning it happened that milly was quite too poorly to get up and mr barton observed to nanny on going out that he would call and tell mr brand to come these circumstances were already enough to make nanny anxious and susceptible but the countess comfortably ignorant of them came down as usual about eleven o'clock to her separate breakfast which stood ready for her at that hour in the parlour the kettle singing on the hob that she might make her own tea there was a little jug of cream taken according to custom from last night's milk and specially saved for the countess's breakfast jet always awaited his mistress at her bedroom door and it was her habit to carry him downstairs now my little jet she said putting him down gently on the hearth-rug you shall have a nice nice breakfast jet indicated that he thought that observation extremely pertinent and well-timed by immediately raising himself on his hind legs and the countess emptied the cream jug into the saucer now there was usually a small jug of milk standing on the tray by the side of the cream and destined for jet's breakfast but this morning nanny being moithered had forgotten that part of the arrangements so that when the countess had made her tea she perceived there was no second jug and rang the bell nanny appeared looking very red and heated the fact was she had been doing up the kitchen fire and that is a sort of work which by no means conduces to blandness of temper nanny you have forgotten jet's milk will you bring me some more cream please this was just a little too much for nanny's forbearance yes i dare say here am i with my hands full of the children and the dinner and missus ill abed and mr brand a comin and i must run o'er the village to get more cream cause you've give it to that nasty little blackamoor is mrs barton ill ill yes i should think she is ill and much you care she's likely to be ill moithered as she is from mornin to night with folks as had better be elsewhere what do you mean by behaving in this way mean why i mean as the missus is a slavin her life out and a sittin up a nights for folks as are better able to wait of her instead a lyin a bed and doin nothin all the blessed day but mek work leave the room and don't be insolent insolent i'd better be insolent than like what some folks is a livin on other folks and bringin a bad name on em into the bargain here nanny flung out of the room leaving the lady to digest this unexpected breakfast at her leisure the countess was stunned for a few minutes but when she began to recall nanny's words there was no possibility of avoiding very unpleasant conclusions from them or of failing to see her position at the vicarage in an entirely new light the interpretation too of nanny's allusion to a bad name did not lie out of the reach of the countess's imagination and she saw the necessity of quitting shepperton without delay still she would like to wait for her brother's letter no she would ask milly to forward it to her still better she would go at once to london inquire her brother's address at his banker's and go to see him without preliminary she went up to milly's room and after kisses and inquiries said i find on consideration dear milly from the letter i had yesterday that i must bid you good-bye and go up to london at once but you must not let me leave you ill you naughty thing oh no said milly who felt as if a load had been taken off her back 
I shall be very well in an hour or two. Indeed, I'm much better now. You will want me to help you pack. But you won't go for two or three days. Yes, I must go to-morrow, but I shall not let you help me to pack, so don't entertain any unreasonable projects, but lie still. Mr. Brand is coming, Nanny says. The news was not an unpleasant surprise to Mr. Barton when he came home, though he was able to express more regret at the idea of parting than Milly could summon to her lips. He retained more of his original feeling for the Countess than Milly did, for women never betray themselves to men as they do to each other, and the Reverend Amos had not a keen instinct for character. But he felt that he was being relieved from a difficulty, and in the way that was easiest for him. Neither he nor Milly suspected that it was Nanny who had cut the knot for them, for the Countess took care to give no sign on that subject. As for Nanny, she was perfectly aware of the relation between cause and effect in the affair, and secretly chuckled over her outburst of sauce as the best morning's work she had ever done. So on Friday morning a fly was seen standing at the vicarage gate with the Countess's boxes packed upon it and presently that lady herself was seen getting into the vehicle. After a last shake of the hand to Mr. Barton, and last kisses to Milly and the children, the door was closed, and as the fly rolled off the little party at the vicarage gate caught a last glimpse of the handsome countess leaning and waving kisses from the carriage window. Jet's little black fizz was also seen, and doubtless he had his thoughts and feelings on the occasion, but he kept them strictly within his own bosom. The schoolmistress opposite witnessed this departure, and lost no time in telling it to the schoolmaster, who again communicated the news to the landlord of the Jolly Colliers at the close of the morning school hours. Nanny poured the joyful tidings into the ear of Mr. Farquhar's footman, who happened to call with a letter, and Mr. Brand carried them to all the patients he visited that morning after calling on Mrs. Barton so that before sunday it was very generally known in shepperton parish that the countess czerlaski had left the vicarage the countess had left but alas the bills she had contributed to swell still remained so did the exiguity of the children's clothing which also was partly an indirect consequence of her presence and so too did the coolness and alienation in the parishioners which could not at once vanish before the fact of her departure the reverend amos was not exculpated the past was not expunged but what was worse than all milly's health gave frequent cause for alarm and the prospect of baby's birth was overshadowed by more than the usual fears the birth came prematurely about six weeks after the countess's departure but mr brand gave favourable reports to all inquirers on the following day which was saturday on sunday after morning service mrs hackett called at the vicarage to inquire how mrs barton was and was invited upstairs to see her milly lay placid and lovely in her feebleness and held out her hand to mrs hackett with a beaming smile it was very pleasant to her to see her old friend unreserved and cordial once more. The seven-months baby was very tiny and very red, but handsome is that handsome does, he was pronounced to be doing well, and Mrs. Hackett went home gladdened at heart to think that the perilous hour was over. End of chapter 7 of The Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton